All right, guys, welcome back to the Buck Fever podcast. We have a good one in store for you guys today. Jake and I were saying before we got rolling, I think if there's one uh, one podcast to tune into, it's probably going to be this one, just because it's such an interesting topic. And I mean, there's such a variety of opinions here and all kinds of information to digest. So we're really looking forward to it. We've got the whole gang here, and we want to talk about the state of the union so to speak of deer hunting and deer numbers in the state of wisconsin because it's been a really hot topic recently on social media in particular i mean if you're on facebook or instagram for 10 minutes and you follow hunting accounts or you're in some of those hunting facebook groups you're gonna see people posting and debating and flat out arguing about the, the deer population and the deer numbers and the DNR and all, all of these things, all these different factors. It's just been such a hot topic right now because what we've seen is some, some big numbers from the DNR and, you know, a huge population, but then a lower than usual um, harvest numbers. And then a lot of unhappy hunters across the state who are reporting that they're seeing way less deer numbers are down things aren't great. So that's kind of laying the the groundwork here. Um, But I want to let some of these other guys jump in here. Maybe we'll let Colby run with it a little bit and maybe further explain what's going on here. Yeah, I just feel like after, you know, the 2023 gun season, and this is not unique to 2023. I feel like this sentiment of negativity, lower deer sightings, you know, for the majority of people and by a majority 51% right or more um, are having negative sighting or you know a negative opinion um, decreased deer sightings um, sightings have been down hunter satisfaction has been down um, are there pockets in the state of Wisconsin that are flourishing and have extremely high deer numbers absolutely we're not really talking about you um, but I think there's issues in a lot of areas of the state. Hunters have been voicing their opinions. It seems as we are continued, continuously ignored. Um, it's always like a new excuse every year from the DNR as to why our numbers are down. Um, you know, one year it's, it's too cold and the hunters didn't go out. The next year it's too warm. The next year the wind didn't blow. Um, the season started too late. Uh, you know, there, there's a host of many acorns. Too many acorns um, this year was a hot topic. Um, I actually believe I saw a news station that aired it, it, an interview with uh, the head of the DNR for the deer, for white-tailed deer, and believe it or not, on a live news station interview, um, the excuse was people harvested more deer in 2020 and their freezers are stocked. And so they decided not to shoot as many deer this year. That was a legitimate excuse given by a DNR employee. And that's an absolute joke. Um, people are not hoarding deer from three years ago in their freezers and they didn't shoot deer this year. That's probably the biggest joke of an excuse I've actually heard come out of the DNR's mouth. Um, 
And we can find it and post it, too, so people can see it if they really want to. But that was a legit thing. Um, I think we just made it, you know, we can touch on doe tags. We go a lot of different directions. Um, I've hunted a lot of different areas of the state over the last 10 years, and I do think it is on a downward trend in pretty much everywhere that I, I hunt. Um, some areas are a little bit better than others, but I would agree with a lot of sentiment from people across the state that it certainly isn't like it used to be. Yeah, Eli, I don't know if you want to chime in on that. I mean, I can chime in. I think I think my role throughout this podcast is probably going to be to challenge everything that is said, whether I agree with it or not. Um, just to get just to get a healthy debate rolling. Um, uh, what I don't want to have happen for this podcast is have it turn into any. Um, any post that is made on Facebook, uh, if you follow the Wisconsin Rut Report, um, you know there's always there's always got to be somebody that just throws something absolutely ridiculous out there, and then it gets a lot of attention, and um, you know the entire thread ends up negative. Whether you're talking youth season or what the hell, I was looking at one. Uh, I think it was yesterday where a guy had posted a picture of a buck that he shot with the, with the bow. Um, and he, and he shot it during the week, uh, leading up to the antlerless only hunt. And he was just getting ragged on by people. Oh yeah. Nice post coming out right in the middle of the antlerless only hunt, you know, blah, 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 blah. And he did a good job of pointing out. Yeah. Well, I have to send it in and, it has to get approved by an administrator, which took two or three days. So it was killed during the week. So I'm, I'm just going to challenge things and try to maybe bring some different perspectives in. And I'm probably not going to agree with a lot of things that I'm going to say, but just for the sake of a healthy debate, I'm going to try my best to be that guy. Well, I like that. And, it is worth mentioning, like we all are, you and Colby are hunting the same property, though each of you do hunt different properties from time to time, but um, we're all hunting in, in different areas. You know, I'm coming from a, a smaller property that we're actually just coming off of probably our best year we've ever had this year. So that's kind of an interesting little tidbit on this. And Jake happens to hunt in one of the areas that we were kind of talking about that is, you know, essentially like a mecca for deer i mean the the density there in the population is unbelievable but even then jake kind of had a, a worse gun season than typical so a lot of different perspectives here um so i like that but jake i don't know if you want to touch on anything here before we really get a debate going um mm, more so just that um you know you and i uh, being the younger of the group, I guess never experienced what it was like when 2007, when it was the peak of deer hunting in Wisconsin, so the numbers say or whatever. So, you know, I guess we might be a little partial to some of this data as in what we've seen the last 10 years of 11 years of hunting. So, you know, not that our opinions are skewed or anything like that, but that's just coming from us at least. 
I like to hear everybody's side of the story. I'd love to hear you, Kobe and Eli's. You know, you guys hunted during those times and what it was like back then and see your sightings compared to what it is now. So I think it'll be a great podcast for going over all that. And and I, I do think it is important here on the front end of things to point out that the four of us throughout, I don't know, the last four or five days have been uh, texting back and forth quite a bit. And I think it's important to point out that there has been a fairly substantial amount of research done, I think, by all parties in the group, just so that we can all be educated on any opinion that we might have, whether there's data number-wise to back it up or not, um, or whether the argument might be that the numbers that we're looking at are all messed up. Um, we have spent a lot of time looking through uh, DNR website, digesting those numbers and kind of taking everything in um, and doing some research so that we are educated on the topic before we before we just dive into this and you know, give give a bunch of opinions. And I did I speaking of research, I did find one um, one uh, survey that went back into the early nineties and the deer population and numbers of deer killed were at their peak when Brett Favre was the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers. So it started to drop off a little bit when Aaron Rodgers took over. Um, I love Aaron Rodgers, but, I mean, Brett Favre is the goat of, of Green Bay, in my opinion. So, anyway, sorry to go down that rabbit hole, but I just had, had to point that out. I mean, that might be the hottest take of the night there, Eli. I, I don't know. <laughs> makes me lose my train of thought. I just... I mean, Brett Favre was, yeah, was he was a good ball player, I'm but... The guy. I'm the guy that's throwing a wrench into this whole damn thing, so... Well, here's, what I, here's what I'd like to do, because I don't... It doesn't matter um, where you are in the state, and if your numbers you feel are low, um, I don't think there's any one answer that solves an area that has lower deer numbers. I think there's a lot of different factors that are going on. So I think we should just tackle some of these factors and then just kind of talk about what we think of them. And I know one thing that's up that is, you know, a real hot topic has been all these doe tags that the DNR has been issuing um, really over the last half dozen to uh, a dozen years, you know, there's a lot of counties within the state where when you buy your regular archery license, you will get issued two to four free doe tags. And then you go buy your gun license and you will get the same two to four free doe tags, whatever that county has allocated. Um, and if you're in a pocket where people, let's say, take advantage or abuse all those extra tags they have, they can really put a dent on the deer population, even in areas where the deer population was or should be very healthy. Um, and I'll give you an example, but my family owns 80 acres up in north central Wisconsin in a, in a county that is very, usually very productive. Um, they're usually in the top 10 and overall deer harvest. Um, so the DNR has, you know, recently gone ahead and said, you know, two plus doe tags per license when you buy. So. 
this year um, in, in this Clark County, you got issued three doe tags every time you bought a license. So when I bought my, if I buy a bull license and choose to, you know, pick Clark County, I would get three doe tags. Then I buy a gun license, three more doe tags. That means I could shoot eight deer. We have three guys hunting. T- we have three guys, me, my dad, my brother, hunting 80 acres. If we both or all of us buy a bow and a gun license, that means three of us combined can shoot 24 deer on 80 acres. Now, what do you think is going to happen to the population if we abuse and fill all of our tags? Probably not good things. It's probably not going to be a good thing. And there are areas where people are doing this. Uh, certain groups of people, um, maybe some people don't have a real regard for the overall health of the deer herd. Um, certain groups of people are hardcore meat hunters and it's a brown, it's down. You are going to decimate the deer herd with this tag allocation system the DNR has been using. Um, and that's just flat out facts. I mean, even if we shot 50% of our allocated tags, if three guys on 80 acres filled 12 tags that's only on 80 acres what are your neighbors doing what if they're doing the same thing like you can start going holy cow and really start raising the eyebrows on well no wonder we're not seeing as many deer um and i think this this free doe tags like candy situation has to stop or come to a curtail yeah it's way too much can i tell you how many Tags? How many doe tags I had this year? Well, because of because of where I live, being closer to Milwaukee now, I was able to get a whole bunch of like metro unit tags. And so I had between all the counties between the state of Wisconsin, I had eighteen doe tags this year, of which I filled zero. But I had 18, personally, myself. Now, you know... I mean, people that have a disregard for, you know, or care of the overall population of of an area, or if they're just piling up meat to feed their freezer or their neighbors or to, who knows, stroke their ego that they killed so many deer in a year, like, you can have massive effects on a herd. Um, And... And just purely talking hunter kills. And now we haven't put other things into the equation yet. So I think it's irresponsible of the DNR to, to be issuing all these extra doe tags. Um, are there areas where, you know, a lot of doe could get taken out? Absolutely. But I don't know. It seems uh, a bit ridiculous. And I would rather just be issued either one to like a hunter's choice tag or you know it's either a buck or a doe and then if you want additional antlerless tags you have to purchase them but this giving away all these tags to me is is a bit r- ridiculous and it people abuse it and then we see the effect of it. at the very least we have to yeah. rein it in it can be you know there are like you said certain pockets where you could shoot more does but they're very, very small. They're not county-wide, even. They might be, like, right. you know, 20 square miles wide, 50 square miles, 
it, you know, and maybe that's out of proportion, but whatever it is, it, it may not even be like a full county. And that's the problem is you allocate, you know, you get three doe tags per license in a county. You may have small pockets in that county that can afford to have people with all of these tags to harvest a bunch of does. But I'm willing to bet that there's a good chunks of that county that also cannot handle that whatsoever. And to, to pinhole the whole county on that, you know, two or three or four extra doe tags with each license, it doesn't seem right. I agree that it does not seem right um, to issue that many tags. Um, Here's what I will say, though. It's not the tags issued that decimate a deer herd. It's the tags that are filled that decimate a deer herd. So um, I think that for public land hunters, this becomes a, a more serious issue um, because, you know, it, a lot of times people that are hunting public land, I know myself included, like when I'm hunting public land, I'm not necessarily considering the overall health of the deer herd um, as I'm choosing to shoot a doe. I'm like, hey, I got these tags. I might as well fill them. Let's do it. Because you get to also declare public or private. And I typically, um, we hunt Vernon County, and I typically will declare that two of my Vernon County, two of my three Vernon County tags this year were set up to be public, and there was one that was set to be private (laughs) on the 180 acres that, that Pat and I hunt. So, I mean, right there is an example. Now, granted, there's a lot of public land, and... I might not necessarily harvest two of those dough off the same piece of public, or I might, who knows. Um, But I feel like private landowners are a lot more conscious about, you know, the health of their herd, um, being able to manage their herd, whereas public, like, my mentality on public is like, hey, I'm at the end of the bow season and I just want to fill a tag. Like I'll go to public land and if I shoot one, awesome. And I don't really care all that much about how big it is. Even when we're over in Minnesota, you know, like, and there's all kinds of different ideas about what you should do as far as age structure and what you should shoot. But, um, like it's more fun when you have big bucks that are running around on the properties that you're hunting. So, um, I, my standards in Vernon County on the private that we both hunt are a lot different than what my standards are anytime I step onto public land, regardless of what state, county, anything that it's in. Yeah, I mean, how many of us would be opposed to antler restrictions? I don't think I would either. I would be okay with it, but it does. I don't know that that, you know, I don't know 
I have no idea what that does in terms of deer numbers um, for deer population. I don't. I don't think that really is that big of an effect on it. Um, I think the antlerless harvest has a larger effect. Main reason is because those are primarily doe that you're talking about. Um, you might get an occasion the the occasional nubbit in there or uh, late season here. Um, some people will shoot bucks that have shed their antlers um, for their antlerless deer, but how many bucks does it take to breed 20 doe? Who knows? Right, and that's, and that's one lucky buck. So, like, you know, I think the bigger thing is the antlerless numbers um, as far as, you know, managing the overall health of the herd because one doe can produce two, sometimes one, two, sometimes three fawn. Um, and that's that's where the deer come from. You take one buck out, it doesn't really do much to the herd. You take five bucks out, it doesn't really do much to the herd. But you shoot one doe and that's that doe plus her two fawn the next spring, you know, that's, that's where the numbers start to stack up. Yeah, and that's a great transition into what I wanted to touch on next is, um, it, you know, even if, if you're someone that feels like, you know, I'm pretty strong against that we're giving out too many tags, it still really comes down to the area you hunt, and you have to make these micro decisions um, on your private land or on the areas that you have permission to hunt or wherever. Wherever you hunt, it really comes down to the micro decisions that you're making and the people around you are making. So it may be a shifting you might have to shift your mindset a little bit if your deer numbers are down or you're unhappy i feel like for the last 10 to 15 years we've been kind of having this push whether it's magazines social media media on tv um and a lot of these media you know tv shows are you know iowa with huge tracts of, uh, of private land and they're always talking what are they talking about doe management got to take out a bunch of does got to take a bunch of does out i feel like that's kind of been pushed on us really hard and like eli's is touching on if you're heard if you feel like your population numbers are down in your little micro area you might have to change your mindset and go um you know, instead of taking that, if I want some meat, instead of taking that doe, because that doe next year means one plus two fawns or three deer, I might have to be happy for settling for a small buck or something if I really want meat. Um, because like Eli said, taking that one buck out is not going to hurt that population. Or if you want to rebuild it, but taking that doe out, that mature doe, you're taking out three deer for the next year. So it might, you know, for, for so long here, we've been like, uh, as hunters, as, uh, you know, big buck hunters, like, oh, if you want some meat, shoot a doe. Don't shoot a small buck. Well, you might need to, if your population is struggling, you might need to shift that mindset and go, no, if I want meat, I might have to shoot a small buck or any buck and not take that doe. So that doe can help, you know, have newborns the next year and help build that population back up. So, oh, but then shift of mindset. all the, all the, people on social media who know so much better than you are gonna tell you that you probably shouldn't have shot that buck because they know how to manage a herd so much better than you and you probably did so much damage by shooting that one yeah and that is uh, 
the boo birds on social media. I don't know. I just don't post it then, you know? Right. I mean, I, th- I think you're making a good point there, though. Like, the, I think even though we're kind of part of it, we've never been one to, like, I, I don't think any of us have ever shot down somebody for shooting what they shoot. Um, no. Y- you know, no. uh, I mean, unless we're talking about people who are, you know, just shooting a mass amount of deer out of gluttony for no reason that we might criticize a little bit, but other than that, we're, we're really not going to be doing that. But, you know, in terms of social media, I think that has warped people's ideas of what hunting is, you know, and, and what the state of hunting is. I mean, like Jake was saying, even, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, social media wasn't really involved in any of this. It, it just wasn't. I mean, now if you have any Wi-Fi service and you're sitting out there, there's probably going to be a time or two you're scrolling through Facebook or Instagram and you're probably sitting in your tree stand looking at pictures of deer that people have shot or you're reading a story or whatever. You weren't doing that in 2007. Like that just wasn't happening. And you know, there's a million different factors at play with social media in general, but I think it's made a major difference in, like you said, Colby, like what people are shooting, the whole doe management thing that gets, you know, spread around by huge tracts of land in Iowa and whatever. I think it's just warped people's sense of even what's right and wrong in the hunting world. Yeah, and I mean, I've been guilty of it myself. I've, I've seen... Um, pictures and there's someone that oh I wanted some meat night I shot this little buck and I'm like you know the thought goes through your head well geez if you wanted meat why don't you just take out a couple dough and leave that buck go for a couple years but again this goes back to we're not necessarily talking about that philosophy we're talking about if your area is struggling or your population is low what are some things you can do to build it back up or, you know, and one of it would be this shifting mindset where instead of if you're a meat hunter or what, or you want to take a deer for some meat, maybe it's not taking that doe now. Maybe it is taking uh, the six-point basket rack buck because now that doe gets to live, she gets to have two fawns in the spring, and that's how you build your population back up. Um, so it might, if you're in those scenarios, it might take a little bit of a shifting mindset for a couple of years or maybe you don't shoot any deer at all or you know maybe it's only big bucks or something yeah i think i mean obviously there's a lot of passion uh that's involved with with deer hunting and in particular around this topic um i i i'm never gonna judge anybody for how they hunt you know you go hunt how you want to hunt i think that that is kind of the the great thing about hunting is you know it's a it's an outdoor recreational activity that um, that is is awesome to have as a hobby and and it gets you out moving around exercise uh, it puts meat in the freezer for the family um, there's a lot of lots of lot of positive things and um, people have to hunt how they're gonna hunt I don't care if somebody shoots a small buck big buck six does eight does one doe no doe doesn't matter to me um and i think that that kind of you know if you think about it in 
the DNR's defense, it's a really difficult job that they have to have to try to manage a deer herd to begin with. And even now, I think it's it's good that it's on a county level versus just the zones that that were created. Um, but you know, you really have to dial it in to the areas that you are hunting. And like Matt said, like if you are looking at your property or the area that you hunt in and you're like, you know what, I'm not seeing I'm not seeing as many deer as I want to see. And I don't even think it's about necessarily seeing as many deer as you want to see as it is about the overall health of of the herd. Um, but if that's the case and you're like numbers are down and this isn't as enjoyable anymore because I'm not seeing deer, then you got to shift your mindset a little bit. Like, you have to consider, should I just, if I want meat, should I shoot a smaller buck? Because if you do that for a couple of year, years and you let those go, go walk, like, it doesn't really take that long. I mean, it's not like rabbits or anything, but, you know, every doe that you don't shoot, if you're somebody that shoots two, three doe a year, like, multiply it by three and that's, bunch of deer that are now walking around on that land and you're only going to have to wait a couple of years before the age structure can start to come back and you can start to get some more mature more mature deer but the other thing that's really difficult about that is a lot of people don't own land or if they do own land it's a 40 or an 80 there are 640 square mile or I mean 640 acres per square mile like, you know how many different landowners there are in that? And a healthy deer population is like, I don't know, 9 to 12 acres per deer. So, quick math here. Uh, it's about, what, 70, that should be, according to those numbers, that's 70 deer per square mile. Um, but some of that's probably eggs, so you cut it in half, say, what, 35, 40 deer per square mile biologist for healthy deer herd like i don't know that's just just throwing some of this stuff out there it's it's really interesting to think about to, to digest like on your 40 acres are you going to see how many of those well we'll go with the high number 70 how many of those 70 deer are living on your 40 acres Have to have many. Not many, handful. Yeah, so you know, it does make it more enjoyable to see deer when you're hunting. But is the is that what's best for the herd? Well, in in public land is a separate issue. We kind of touched on that. That's a, a more limited thing, and maybe even a whole separate topic for another day. But one of the things that a lot of people who are listening are probably thinking right now. I, I kind of want to get. Jake's perspective on this too, because we talked about this off air as well. But you know, from all of you guys, there's a lot of people who are probably thinking, "Well, you know, I've got my forty, and I'm I'm doing everything I can. I'm trying to make all the right decisions, but I think my neighbors are out here shooting whatever. They're not controlling their scent. They're hunting the wrong winds. They're doing this, that, and the other. They're screwing everything up. And I think there's a lot of, you know." 
a lot of people who are feeling like even if they're doing the right thing, they don't manage enough property and their neighbors are screwing everything up for them. And I'm not saying that Jake's like calling out his neighbors or anything, but it was a, a topic you brought up. Yeah, well, even to backtrack a little bit, I know we were talking about this a little earlier, but, you know, I'm in a county where I get four doe tags extra. So between my, my gun and bull, I have four or eight doe tags. So, you know, whether or not that's, I don't think that that's necessary. I mean, I'm in a very lucky spot to where I do see a decent amount of deer. and Theoretically, I could fill all those tags, but I don't. And, you know, like Kobe was saying, that's a lot. That's, there's four of us who bow, or three of us who bow hunt. So what is that? You know, 24 doe tags, right? There. Well, I say bow hunt and gun hunt, and then we got a couple other guys with gun hunt. You know, we got an abundance of tags. But it, it's almost like we don't, I shoot the most does probably out of the group, and I shoot maybe two a year. So would I be fine with, you know, reducing it to two doe tags? Absolutely. I don't need eight doe tags. I'm never going to fill that many. Um, I don't really know any of the neighbors or anybody else who hunts in that area who has ever filled that many. I could be wrong, or people just won't tell me, you know, but, like, at least in our group, I think that there is deer. There's a decent amount of deer, but the, the four doe tags is just per license is pretty excessive in my opinion which is part of the reason maybe there is a lot of deer getting killed i don't know how many people take advantage of that in my county but um i know that i don't think four is needed whatsoever um i think that you know they could have a a two or even a one and then if you want to buy an extra one you have the opportunity to buy like one or two extras a year you know but um that was just a little my take on that whole the toll tag situation but yeah you know i'm not i wouldn't say calling out the neighbors more so just um i've had we've had it before and everybody hunts different everybody has different standards but um a little different when you you know you're passing up deer and then they walk across the property line and you know, they get gunned down during gun season which has happened a few times but i mean what are you going to do about that um i don't know I think these last two gun seasons, I will, I will I'll agree that these last two gun seasons have probably been the worst I've ever hunted. Um, you know, I don't want to blame it on anything this year whatsoever. The weekend wasn't great, but then I hunted the last three days where it was, you know, 25 degrees, and I still didn't see much for deer. So what that's all about, I'm, I'm not 100% sure, but um, we were kind of talking about this off air that, um, you know, we do drive around in March late spring early summer and there's been nights where i've seen multiple of hundreds of deer um lots of deer i know noah you've been with me before and you can attest to this that we've seen i bet you i'm close to a thousand deer driving around at night and um it that's that's where it like it'll worry me a bit in the year like oh, are we taking too many deer and i've we've talked about this a lot like you know are we shooting too many deer between us and the neighbors and or I'm finding six dead winter, which is also concerning, but is it, is it, am I finding dead ones because there's too many around or what's going on? Not enough mouths to feed. There are too many mouths to feed, not enough food. And so, you know, it's kind of a different, I'm in an interesting spot because I see both sides of it from everybody and from where I am because, you know, it's something that mostly gun season has been the worst the last couple of years, but bowl season, I have a nice year. Um, 
I don't think there's nearly as much pressure around me during both season. Um, I know my neighbors do get out and hunt, but uh, I, I don't, and we were also talking about this earlier, I don't know the whole scent control thing. Like, you know, um, I think deer do get pressured, and I think deer do get smart, but if you hunt them the right way, it, it doesn't necessarily matter because if you do all the right things you're going to be fine like i was telling noah earlier that we our shooters opening weekend and i saw them four or five times throughout the rest of the year up till the first weekend before gun season so like you know we were in there around our scent was in there um but as we play the wind we hunt stands we're supposed to hunt with right winds and we have good access so i think it all just kind of comes down to where you hunt how you hunt it and what you do with the deer that you are hunting. Yeah. And I mean, I, from Colby and Eli too, I, I wonder what your perspectives would be on all that, you know, especially with the whole neighbor thing. I mean, you know, it's great if, if that meat hunter decides, you know what, I am going to shoot a smaller, you know, basket rack buck cause it's going to be better for the herd. But then I hear my neighbor cracking off 10 shots you know, on opening day, they just downed half a dozen does, you know, now what good am I really doing? There's a couple different ways you can do this. I'd actually, like, you could argue, like, on one side of the coin, there's more pressure in the woods now, and I know we kind of had some of this discussion through text, like, people are bow hunting harder, um, more people are going deeper into public land spots. Um, people are bow hunting. Like, it seems like more people are in taking part in an extended part of the bow season from early season all the way up through the rut leading up to guns. So you could argue, like, properties are being a little bit more pressured like that. But I would also argue that there's a lot more people that are hardy hunting smarter nowadays like people are playing the wind people are watching their scent people have great equipment people are running ozone generators people are sitting in box blinds i'd actually argue the complete opposite that it's the lack of pressure which is why people are seeing less deer in gun season and this might be something you guys aren't even accustomed to or don't have any like when me and eli 15 years ago when you'd get out of your stand and go drive around, you would see orange everywhere, like in the woods. You'd see guys gearing up to do deer drives. You'd be seeing groups of guys doing deer drives. Now you get out of your stand and you can go drive around, and you're lucky to even see much orange. Um, the culture has shifted so much. Um, nowadays, like people are afraid to push deer off of their private land, afraid that the neighbor's going to shoot your big buck that you got the trail camera picture of. Everybody's sitting in these cozy, heated box blinds, whether it's a custom-built blind, whether it's a redneck blind or a muddy blind. People are not engaging in these deer drives and pushing the deer all over the place, getting them moving like years, like years gone by. Um, I'd actually argue sometimes that it's the lack of pressure that makes gun season really slow now. Um, there's less hunters in the woods. We're talking, what, 150,000 less hunters than uh, 15-ish years ago? So you take that many people out of the woods, um, that's that much less pressure again. It's it, that many guy, less guys walking into their stand, bumping a deer to your property, getting out at 10 o'clock to go have lunch, bumping more deer. 
pasture stand when they're going in for lunch, then they're bumping deer coming back in the afternoon. So, like, I would actually argue today we see less deer gun hunting because there's less pressure in the woods than years ago, which is probably not the take you would guess. again boils down to what's the area that you're hunting in and you know if there's not deer drives going around going on then people aren't pushing as many deer um i think that uh man there were a lot of things that i was going to touch on and I'll, just add, I'll just jump in and add one more thing to that. Part of that whole dynamic and that shift is, you know, I touched on people are protecting their private lands a little bit more, but part of it is like the, the dynamic of the, or the aging dynamic of the hunter. I think like the average age of the Wisconsin hunter this year was like 60, I could be off by a couple of years, so give or take like 63 years old. So like if that's the, or no, sorry, that's the age of the most hunters in our state so if that if the most hunters partaking in the gun deer season are age 63 those guys aren't going to be out there doing a bunch of deer drives um so because of that age structure of our hunters we probably have a lot more guys sitting in stands sitting in box blinds not bumping deer around so that goes into some of this shifting culture i guess as well on how we hunt deer as well you know guys have food plots now 15 years ago think of how many less food plots there were across the state now guys have great manicured food plots they walk out to a box blind and they sit on they sit in the stand all day long you know the deer they don't they don't get bumped they don't get pushed they don't have to move they can stay bedded and then come out you know at night so that certainly probably plays a little bit of a factor and a role into why people are seeing less deer well, I guess my question to that would be, though, if you're seeing less deer because of that, but those deer are still out there, then do you really have a herd population issue? Or is there the same population? Is there still really a high population, but you're not seeing them because, like you said, they're not being hunted with as much pressure, so they're not getting bumped? I mean, that would really make a lot of sense for why... Jake and I can drive around and see a thousand deer in a night in the summer, and then Jake has a terrible gun season. Well, those deer are still there. The population isn't in trouble. It's just like you said, the pressure's down. They're being hunted differently, and so you're not going to see them as much. So it maybe looks like the population's in trouble, but it isn't. So I'm just I'm kind of wondering how that all plays together because it seems like it would almost have to be one or the other. I think it's just all factors and they, it's all factors and they all have different balances based on where the areas are. I mean, there's certainly guys that are doing all those things and planting food plots and stuff, but they are, you know, 15 years ago would see 30, 40 deer on a sit. And then now we're seeing one or two and that isn't just gun, it's bow and, and whatnot as well. So, um, and I, I think, think everything, everything plays a role. And, and I think that that statement is part of the reason that 
people are so upset about it is like, yeah, the good old days when you used to see 30 or 40 deer sit. Well, if you're in one tree and you're seeing 30 or 40 deer, is that what is best for the deer herd? You know what I mean? Like, I know that CWD is a another touchy topic, but like when CWD spreads, why does it spread? It spreads because there's too many deer and they're swapping spit with each other, just like a bunch of middle schoolers. Um, you know, like that—that's how CWD spreads. So, is that what's best for the deer herd? Now, does it make it? more fun to deer hunt when you're seeing 30 or 40 deer a night? Absolutely. Like, <laughs> don't, don't get me wrong. I, I love seeing a lot of deer when I go hunting. That makes it fun. But is that what is best for for the deer? Like, I don't know. There's a lot of, a lot of research out there that says, no, it isn't what's best. That's when you're going to start to get winter kill. Like, I don't know. You got other diseases that come into play and CBWD being one of them. EHD has nothing to do with deer population um, but throughout history like when populations of something get too large like nature does its job and starts to control the population of something and it kills it off. So. Well and how many of those like 30, 40 deer at night sits, were you seeing, you know, really big bucks? I mean, I kind of wonder about that too. You know, back then you could shoot a, a decent three and a half year old eight pointer and everybody, you know, was happy for you. It was a great buck. It was awesome. And now, you know, if you shoot anything smaller than 155 inches, four and a half, five and a half years old, you're going to get flamed online, you know? But I think, I think there's more of those maybe around today than there were at the time, or more of them are getting shot today than were before, because, you know, in those 30 to 40 deer you were seeing more because of social media, that, that absolutely could be. But I, I just, I wonder in those 30 to 40 deer, when you were seeing more deer on any given night, how many of them were those, what we would consider to be a shooter buck by today's standards? Because, you know, I think it's just a, it's a different thing. The population maybe would have been higher. You might have been seeing more, but were you seeing the same caliber deer? I don't know because I didn't I didn't really hunt it. So that's kind of a question. I, I'm just kind of wondering. I mean, personally, anecdotally, yeah, but just as big a deer back then as now, and more of them, or more deer overall, I would say. Yeah. I don't think anything has really happened to the size of the deer. Um, I think it's hard to really be able to talk about it um, because the primary piece of land that I hunt on is 180 acres of private land that has other private landowners surrounding it with the exception of a little bit of MFL mixed in there um, and a majority of those landowners 
try to manage their herd for big bucks. So, like, on that property, I really don't feel like much of anything has changed in the last 15 years. There's years where there's seems like there's where it seems like there's more deer there's years where it seems like there's less deer we have years where like it it seems like it's tough to find a shooter um we had a pretty good spell of ehd go through oh 2018-ish um and that certainly had an impact on on uh, the quality of bucks that we were seeing for a couple of years, but I mean, it's all about where you hunt, and I don't think that that piece is a real great piece to use to make a statement or form an opinion um, or hypothesis for the for the entirety of of the state. Um, public land like i feel like i see similar numbers on public compared to what i always have but i mean i guess the area that i'm hunting is primarily vernon county which is the southwest part of the state and that's like the southwest part of wisconsin is probably one of the best areas of the state to be in so you know i can't speak to you know people that are hunting in the in the middle of the state as much i know pat's um cabin where i go gun hunting is up there but like i'm at the cabin for two days a year now so i you know that's i can't really form much of a solid opinion on the state of the herd based on those two days. Yeah, I mean, I know up there at, at that cabin, Colby, um, there was a pretty good one shot this year, right? I mean, that that kind of plays into the yeah. quantity versus quality discussion a little bit, too. The, the quantity seemed to be down, but then shot a pretty nice one up there. property during the bow season um but then but overall the whole the whole year was i mean satisfaction wise <clears throat> what agreed what was seen up there from the start of the season to the end through the gun season it, it, the population's obviously down um and i think that i think that specific property it's because of the tag allocation in the area and people that are abusing uh, certain groups of people that are abusing the doe tags that they're giving. <clears throat> yeah, I would agree with that, too. Do you think, I don't know if we have any numbers on this, we haven't really talked about it. Um, Jake and I have talked about it. I wonder how much some of that out-of-state hunting pressure makes a difference i mean i know states like iowa you you got to apply it's literally preference points to shoot white-tailed deer down there and 
I, I don't hear, I mean, maybe I'm just not in tune with it, but I don't necessarily hear a ton of complaints coming out of Iowa as far as the way that that's all managed. It's something Jake and I have talked about. I'm not an expert on the subject, but there's, I mean, Wisconsin is certainly a destination state for hunters all over the country, and it's pretty easy to, to get a tag. You can get a tag every year. There's no preference points, and it's fairly cheap. So, I mean, I wonder how much of that, especially on public land, can play a factor. I, I don't have enough experience, I guess, on public land, especially during the gun season, to talk about it. But um, just judging from conversations I've had with other hunters and social media stuff I've followed over the last 10 years, I, I can count on one hand the amount of times I've heard anybody complain about out-of-state hunting pressure so i don't think it's an issue unless they're from illinois you know yeah they can say something yeah i hear you on that i mean jake what what are you thinking on that because we've talked about it like i don't think there's nothing going on there right i don't i like kobe said i've never came across it because obviously oh and i don't public land gun hunt but um i just think that if people are concerned about this, the whole deer population, and that they want the DNR to make a change, maybe make it a little harder for non-residents to get a tag, or a little more expensive, where people are maybe going to think twice, like, oh, maybe I don't want to, you know, spend a couple hundred bucks. But at the same time, I don't know if I should, if that matters, because like, you know. When we went to Minnesota, I was like, oh, this is fairly cheap, and it was easy. You know, it's not too far from here. So, it, you know, it's kind of give and take. So, I mean, like they were saying, I didn't – I've never heard of population. And I honestly don't even know what the out-of-state numbers look like in Wisconsin. Like how many people are buying non-resident tags. But I just know, in my opinion, that Wisconsin, it's a little too easy and cheap to well, and, here. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and we we can't we can't compare Wisconsin to Iowa. Like, there's so many reasons that Iowa is the mecca of deer hunting in the country. Um, like, the terrain is flatter. The like it's literally all agriculture. Um, you have smaller track. You have smaller chunks of woods. So, deer numbers. Like, in a square mile, like, the percentage of that square mile that is wooded compared to just open corn field, bean field, whatever kind of field, is significantly lower than Wisconsin. Um, There's other reasons, too. Like, they don't have a gun season in the middle of the rut, or, like, their gun season doesn't start until December. I don't think it's rifle either, is it, Eli? No, it's all shotgun. Yeah. Shotgun, muzzle loader down there, pretty much, yeah. But a lot of that stuff's what Uh, I'm saying. Like, if if there are so many differences that could be regulated by the DNR, you know, yes, we can't do anything to change the terrain that we're hunting in. We can't do anything to increase the ag over here. But if there's certain things that are, you know, implemented by the DNR in the regulations of Iowa that help them to have 
you know, better hunting and better herds, you would think we could implement similar things here to make those same improvements. Yeah, the point I was making is, like, the out-of-state stuff. Like, if you let anybody come into Iowa, there wouldn't be any, like, you'd be hunting other people just because there's not that much timber there, if that makes sense. Yeah, we have a higher capacity for out-of-state hunters, for sure. Right, yeah. For sure. So, like, that's... I guess that was my whole, that, that was the main point I was trying to make. It's like, it's a different state, it's different terrain, there's a different amount of woods. Like, we can't say Wisconsin should adopt Iowa's practices because, like, there's a reason that they don't let people in there. It's because there's just not that much as far as woods to go to hunt. Like, yeah, I mean, that all makes sense. Is there an argument that if we implemented a shotgun-only gun season in December in Wisconsin, that that would be worse for our herd? Are they afraid the population would get too out of control then? I think the shotgun-only thing there is has more to do with the flat terrain than it does the deer kill. Like, the reason for it is rifle bullets travel a lot longer distances than a slug. So, with the flat terrain, you shoot on the ground, you're not talking about what's immediately behind a deer. You're talking about what's, you know, like, if there's a slight crest in the hill, that bullet can travel, you know, a long freaking ways where you're not going to see somebody necessarily that's behind the deer 400 yards but that bullet could get there yeah and that that all totally makes sense but i've seen people online who you know even like bow hunters who at this point are pretty much condemning gun hunters like certain people who literally won't take a gun out in the woods during gun season because they're that diehard to bow hunt only but you know certain people will then criticize how you know, nowadays with these rifle scopes and whatever, people will shoot deer out to three, four, five hundred yards, kill them out there, wound them out there. They don't really care. And I know that, like, that type of thing has been criticized. That's obviously not happening everywhere all the time. But, you know, I know it has been a, a topic that's been discussed out there and criticized that it's, it's too easy to shoot them with a rifle. Anybody can do it. And that that's been causing problems. Okay, so I guess yeah, I think it's a I think it's an underrated thing that Wisconsin used to be like the southern half of the state used to be shotgun only, and then I forget what year it was, but it went to statewide rifle, and no one ever really seems to talk about that. But um, you know, it's funny you bow hunt and you you practice, practice, practice. You dial in and you try to make sure you're making a good ethical shot you know i'd say most hunters are trying to keep it within 30 yards or 40 yards and making a good ethical shot and all of a sudden you uh put a rifle in your hand that you probably if you're lucky have practiced with or shot once or twice maybe once maybe not at all um but you got a high-powered scope and now people are going to crack a 400 500 300 yard shot off um 
And I do think it does lead to uh, piss poor ethical shots, wounded deer, um, and that's certainly a, a, another factor. You know, all these factors that play into all of this. Yeah, I don't know if that's what if that's a reason that people aren't seeing deer, though. Like that's what we. No, no, about. I don't. Like right. we gotta keep we gotta keep this thing on we gotta keep this thing on point here. There's so many rabbit holes that we can go down. Like, why aren't people seeing deer? It was is kind of the the purpose of of the conversation. So, so just trying to keep us on track. That's but I will say rifle hunting that death does absolutely have an effect on the population because with a shotgun, most that most people are carrying that deer has to be within. 50 to 100 yards for an actual accurate shot versus a rifle has opened up the capability to sit in these box blinds and blast across fields and it certainly has killed more deer yeah like how many how many less deer would be shot a year if it was shotgun only it's got to be significant and that's also probably a reason why people don't engage in deer drives anymore because they can sit and shoot from a much longer distance versus having to have the deer close to them. Um, you know, and again, that just plays into the whole culture thing and, and, and culture shift and how people are hunting versus 15, 20 years ago. It's yeah, a fact. When, when, did, yeah. when did Wisconsin change to rifle? I would say early 2000s. But, you know, some other factors that we haven't touched on that certainly play a varying role based on where you are in the state would be, we don't need to dive down this. I mean, it's an obvious factor, even though our DNR tends to ignore it. Um, And I know their hands are tied right now because they're under federal protection, but, uh, you know, the predators and the wolves are obviously playing major havoc up north. Uh, Wolves, coyotes, bears, bobcats, um, they're all playing a role. Um, In certain areas, they're out of control and certainly contributing to the uh, lower deer numbers. When you combine that up north with a bunch of severe winters, um, I think it wasn't last year, record snowfall in a lot of northern Wisconsin, um, that's not going to equal a good season the next year and uh it's unfortunate because all the stories of the old deer camps and the camaraderie and 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 times that were had up there that's kind of a dying thing you know guys are going up there with a group of group of guys at a deer camp for a week and the whole group will stay up there a week long and see two deer three deer as a whole group i mean it's sad yeah that's no good at all Eli, were you able to find that? 2013 is when it changed statewide rifle. Really? Only that long ago, huh? It's only 10 years? And it changed because there was research that showed that they posed no greater risk than shotguns, even in more populated counties. I hardly believe anybody's research anymore you can make research look 
however you want to with enough money. And if you skew the results the right way, so I, I don't know that that's 100% accurate. I mean, just logically, that makes zero sense. Statistically, though, it has. We have had less and less and less and less gun-related incidents, like hunters shooting other hunters in the last 10 years. But that is not necessarily weapon-related. That could be, or certainly is our hunter education program and requirements and blaze orange and all that um, stuff that goes into it nowadays compared to years ago when there were much higher rates of incident um but i mean if, if that was the case what i mean if you're saying that one weapon is not more effective than another why couldn't i just gun hunt during bow season right because it's obvious that a gun's more effective than a bow so if, if it's not obvious to you that the effective range of a rifle is more than a shotgun I, mean, I don't think we're talking about effective range. I think we're talking about um, the safety and, and hunter incidents as in... Oh, I thought Eli was saying it, they were the research was that it wasn't more effective on deer. No, it poses no greater risk to people getting shot. Oh, to people getting shot. Yeah, yeah. That I would... No, that's... that's that, I mean... I, I certainly agree. There's more deer killed because of rifles and being able to shoot further. Um, but it changes the way that you hunt too. That's the other thing. You're not. You're not. You don't have to go do as many drive do drives to to move deer around and get them close to you. Right. Yeah. I mean, you can be sitting up in a redneck with a heater going, just doing your thing looking over a cornfield and shooting that way which you know isn't like i mean like that's there's nothing against that either like that's not the end of the world it's just you know kind of at this point almost like brainstorming some of the factors at at play here because it's not it's not like you know this this whole shift happened for no reason i mean there's a lot of different factors at play that have led to where we're at today and, you know, there, there's probably some factors that are going to have to change if we want to, you know, get things rebounded going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And let's just maybe touch on one last factor here, uh, you know, that people have been raising a, a lot of chatter about, and that is all of the different firearm seasons we have here in Wisconsin. So we're not just talking about the nine-day gun and a bow season. We have a, a two-day youth gun season the first week, weekend in October. The nine-day gun season, you know, the weekend before Thanksgiving through the, the weekend after Thanksgiving. Then it shifts to a 10-day muzzleloader, which runs right into a four-day antlerless. And then you take about a week and a half past that, and then in, I believe, 35 counties or something like that this year, there is a holiday hunt from you know december 23rd through the new year where that's another whatever that is eight nine days of gun antlerless only season and then to tack that on i think uh boy how many counties are there that we had talked about that have uh 
you know, an extended bow season that goes all the way to January 31st. Like, you know, when do these deer get a break? There's, there's constant pressure on them. Um, you know, they finally make it through the actual gun season. Now they got to make it through another couple gun seasons. Then as they're prepping their bodies for winter, like look at the stress we're putting on the herd. Are these extra seasons really needed um, and necessary? I don't think so. And I would think there's a, you know, I think some of these questions that have been up on the spring hearings and the hunters have said, we don't want them. And yet we continue to have them. Right. And I will agree with you that I, I don't want them. I, I will disagree that those seasons are putting all kinds of extra stress on the herd. I th- do think some more deer get shot because of them. I'm not, I'm not going to argue against that. Like we have, we've killed deer during the, during the holiday hunt because basically, cause we want to go hunting. Um, and that's how you can go hunting. But I don't really have an issue with any of them outside of the holiday hunt. I think that one was just absolutely ridiculous. Um, but that's actually the better point is you have the spring hearings. Like how many people attend their, um, the county that they hunt in, how many people go and show up or you can also write letters in contact a representative of the, uh, of what the heck are they called? They're, uh, each county has a, it's like basically like a herd management, the council. Wisconsin, uh, County Deer Advisory Council. Yep. Yep. County Deer Advisory Council. Like how many people actually show up to them or give their opinion and input? I know that it's been a, there have been items that have been brought up, like let's change, get rid of the holiday hunt, but how many people actually give their input on that? Yeah, it probably can't be too many. Uh, I'm going to put devil's advocate on that. I think, I honestly think, I'm, I'm going to give you some info here. and t- Let me tell you why we get our doe tags set the way we do by our CDACs. Because the, the, these county advisory councils are the ones that actually set the doe allocation tag. Right, because they're made of special interest groups. So your CDAC is made up of members of the Wisconsin Conservation Congress for that county and seven citizen citizens representing various stakeholder groups. Now let me read you what stakeholder groups those are. Tribal, give or take, don't know how they feel about deer. Agriculture, they want all the deer gone. Forestry, there's no undergrowth, they want the deer herd reduced. Tourism, why the F is somebody with tourism deciding our deer herd numbers? What do they know about it? What's the odds that person's a hunter? Transportation. Hmm. Wonder what they're going to vote for. More deer tags? Yup. Local government, one person from a hunting organization, and then a deer management assistance program. So what's the majority of that board made up of? You wonder why we have more doe tags? Uh, did I did I say an average Joe hunter from the county gets to be on that board or anybody that actually hunts in that county? Nope, no spot for you. You can go make your voice heard and attend the meeting and ask a question 
And what ear do you think that goes in and out the other with the tourism person or the forestry person or the agriculture person or the transportation representative? But here in the well, say, but, but they are GoTag allocations. That's that's why, but that's why people don't go to the meetings is because they have that mindset that you're that you're talking about right now. Like if there are if if there are enough people, there's strength in numbers. Like one person going to make their voice heard is not going to do anything with those people or like but all like everything that happens in those meetings has to be documented any you can send letters in like if there's enough support for something it doesn't matter about the special interest groups like if there's enough public support for something change is going to have to be made People don't go because they're like, oh, no, like, my, my opinion, what, what does my opinion really matter? Like, like, you, how do you get change to happen? You have to have enough support and enough people that want to push for a change. So, like, if you're not willing to go and show up or if you're not willing to bring people along with you and you're not willing to make your, your voice heard, then you got to quit bitching about it. Like, if you're not, like, if you're going to show up and make your voice heard, or if you're going to put the effort in to bring other people in, then complain all you want when they don't make the changes. But if you're not willing to do that, then don't complain. Yeah, I mean, keep your mouth shut. To your point, Eli, you could take, like, you know, two minutes to type up some crappy facebook post complaining about all this stuff or you could take 10 minutes to write out a fairly well thought out letter and send it to you know the people who actually make the decisions on it and you might get better results doing that than making a a facebook post complaining yeah i I completely agree that the board that is that represents the cdac is ridiculous like they don't they want more deer tags going out they like tourism wants more deer tags going out because that's going to bring more people in transportation wants more deer tags going out that's less accidents like farmers want more deer tags going out that's less deer like and i do and i think that we need to value their opinions as well in particular like the farmers like they get crapped on constantly but at the same time, is that your situation? And what are you doing to manage your property? What are you doing to get your opinion heard? Like, there is a platform for being able to make changes, but there aren't enough people that are willing to take the time to show up or push for the changes that they want to see made. So, like, if there's going to be changes made, that's what needs to happen. More people need to advocate for them. More people need to speak up. More people need to join together and, and make a push for it. Yeah, I mean, if we look at where... No doubt. I feel like hunters for a long time now have felt like their voices have fallen on deaf ears and that the DNR, even though we're the biggest stakeholder and the ones that fund everything or the you know the license sales from them and the gun deer sale of license is the biggest driver of you know 
Whitefield funding, but yet it's like the voices of these people are are not heard at all. Yeah, but I, here's my question though: is like how many of those voices are actually speaking up? Because the, the, like you go to the bar and people bitch about the DNR constantly, like, and I know that people bring things up to meetings, and I know that there's been a few like petitions and different things like that that have been done but overall how many voices are being heard like there's a lot of voices out there but how many of them are speaking to the right spot is my that's my question i'm not i have no data i have no nothing but i know that like me personally i haven't gone and advocated for stuff outside of filling out the questionnaire that I get in the spring every year. Yeah, I mean, what's what's scary now is what they're probably going to look at numbers-wise, and they're going to say, well, the population is higher this year. The overall harvest was lower this year. I think we were saying, like, down 17% or something. So... It probably goes without saying that's not going to result in less tags or, you know, getting rid of the holiday hunt. That's probably going to result in, oh, they got a higher population and less got harvested. We need more tags. We need to create a second holiday hunt or make the gun season longer. I mean, you know, it's I, I don't see them looking at these numbers that we've recently collected from the past year and going, oh, well, we should probably cut back. taken into account what people are saying about what they're seeing and it I don't know and we're, you know, we're pretty much year, I can already I can already write next year's article because next year gun season starts on the latest possible date it starts November 23rd so you can already type the article and submit it to the Monday morning news that the harvest is down once again and this year the excuse in 2024 is going to be, oh, it's the latest start possible, and this is why the numbers are down. And you can take it to the bank already. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, there's definitely, I mean, I could see that for sure, 100%. And then it's probably just going to get raised even more. But, I mean, I think what we're, what we're really saying throughout all of this is, you know, the numbers don't tell the whole story all the time a lot of that data and you know we were kind of talking off air too and the way that it gets collected i mean it's just it's not it's not the whole story it's not all of it i'm not saying the numbers are a total sham or they're a complete lie or whatever they might be accurate to a t but even if that's the case they're they're just not telling the whole story comes down to managing you know your little micro area that you hunt and maybe trying to contact and work together with your neighbors and get insight from them and then you know taking matters into your own hands because uh there's no doubt as much as we've been ripping on the dnr a little bit is it, it is a difficult difficult task to go ahead and try to manage the entire state and all these different terrains and different areas of the state you know that have different populations and things dynamics going on 
And there's a, and, and like we said, there's not one factor or one quick fix. It's a lot of things at play here. So it's uh, just kind of analyzing your little specific area that you hunt and maybe making minor changes to what you can do or get together with your neighbors and group up and see if you can't collectively come up with small changes you can make to rebuild your herd if it if it is down. Yeah, for sure. I feel like we kind of, we covered quite a bit there and a lot of it was sort of, you know, sort of a, a, a downer in, in some respects, but I feel like we should kind of leave with some of the things that you probably can do just to kind of highlight that for anybody who, who stuck it out through this whole thing. Um, I mean that you kind of just touched on it, Colby, that would be mine is go talk to your neighbors, go knock on their door. We, you know, I mentioned earlier, we had the best season we've ever had. And that's almost exclusively because we got out of our comfort zone and went and made a better relationship with the neighbors. We had never really talked to them, never really knew what was going on. We went and knocked on the door. We got a complete new access route that helped us tremendously to to spook less deer. We got permission to hunt more ground than we had before. Um, you know, I, I don't know that anything bad, uh, sure there's horror stories, but I don't really see what bad could come out of going and talking to your neighbors. Worst case scenario is they tell you to pound sand. They don't want to work together. Best case scenario, you guys come up with a management plan. You share trail camera pictures. You share what's going on. You get each other's phone number and, you know, text about what you're seeing out there. I mean, there, that, there is something to be said for that. You can certainly improve your own little area if you own even a small chunk of private land. You can make major improvements just by building up a little bit of a relationship with your neighbors. Yeah, I, I mean, absolutely. That is certainly, certainly a good strategy. Um, like everything comes down to relationships and for most people um you're you're talking about a small area within a larger um county within the state or within a management zone and then that's within the state so like if you start from the inside which is the area that you're hunting and talk to your neighbors or if you're somebody who hunts primarily public land, like talk to as many people as you can that are also hunting that public land and get more feedback and input from them about what is it that they're seeing. And, you know, and, and then if it's a consensus that, that numbers are low, what can you do about it? Because I, I do agree that it is going to be, a difficult task to try to get anything done like through any legislation or through the CDAC or anything like that. So, you know, you're only hunting in the areas that you hunt. So just think about the things you can do to improve that area. If you're unhappy, you know, maybe don't shoot doe. Maybe spend a couple of years and if you if you're somebody that wants to get meat in the freezer, shoot an oven. <laughs> shoot a small buck. 
uh, those are a couple things you can do if uh, if you're willing to go out and make your voice heard you know go show up at the CDAC meetings or get a group of people together that are all willing to advocate for that kind of stuff so um, hopefully that's takeaway from this whole podcast is like you can only control what you can control and um, hopefully you know if you want to see changes you're going to do some start to do things differently. Yeah, I I mean, you guys are hitting on great points. Um, Absolutely. Uh, Those would be the main things I'm doing as well. Uh, The other other more extreme thing you can do is go find somewhere else to hunt. You know, if if your area is struggling that bad and you feel like you're just beating your head against the wall and not seeing anything, like, Take a trip somewhere else. Book a hotel, book a cabin, book a VRBO, go hunt some public land in a different county or even a different state. Or, you know, book an outfitted trip one year. Like, there's other options than just continuing, you know, to get your ass kicked all year long in the same property. Um, Maybe you need to give your property a break for a year or two, let it totally recover, and and go venture out and do something else. Um, It's a little extreme, but it may be maybe the answer and it might rejuvenate you for a year while it lets your your own herd kind of recover so just another option that's actually a great point i think what the definition of ignorance is continuing to do the same thing and expecting different results so yeah absolutely get out of the comfort zone and go do something different yeah, and you might find out just some new experience, uh, you know, rejuvenates you. Or, boy, I like doing that a lot. And all of a sudden you find yourself taking a trip every year, you know, or something like that. So, Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. When we we um, had a second property um, that my grandparents bought, and we it was bigger and better and we switched over to hunting that one for a couple of years there and then they sold it and when we went back to the one we're on now the property only got better because it essentially became a sanctuary there was no pressure there was nothing going on there i mean you know there's something to be said for that we kind of touched on it briefly but you know if you don't have the hunting pressure there the deer are going to go where they feel safe i mean there's there's something to that we didn't hunt it as we didn't really hunt it at all, and things got a whole lot better. They were actually better than that first year back, probably than they have been since. So there's definitely something to that. Maybe giving it a break for a year or two could be the way to go. Jake, you got anything for us? Close this thing out. You know, just kind of reiterating what you guys touched on. Um, I think it's big, you know, talk to other people, not just your neighbors, talk to everybody who hunts and see what they're seeing in different parts of the state and um, what they think and all that. And it is important to talk to your neighbors. I know our neighbors are pretty close with one of them and share everything, what we're seeing, what deer we're seeing and what, what we think of everything. And that's big. You can, yeah, you know, you can kind of gauge on like, oh, maybe maybe we can shoot more deer this year. Oh, this year's slower than normal, and maybe we should shoot some more deer this year. So it's just, you know, just talk. If you want to learn, you gotta be willing to ask other people questions and kind of be nosy. 
and figure out some things. So other than that, you know, not not much. I think it was a pretty good podcast and covered a lot of stuff and hopefully answered some questions and or even raised some questions for people. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, this this was really just an open discussion, almost more of a brainstorming session. You know, this was not the end all be all. So we're totally open to any comments or anything to further the discussion. But I mean, the overarching theme here, though, that I, I do like that is kind of positive is that no matter how many tags the DNR wants to allocate, you know, we're all in agreement, like, it's kind of on us to manage the herd. The DNR sets the numbers, but to a certain extent, you know, they're not the ones hunting the deer necessarily. So, you know, it, it is kind of on each of us to, even if we have 18 doe tags because of where we live, doesn't mean you should probably use them all. Or maybe you use them in a certain area where it needs it and you don't use them in another area where it doesn't. At a certain point, it does take a certain hunter responsibility to take the time to figure out what's right and what's wrong and act upon it. Yeah, I think you guys said it earlier in the podcast, uh, the only tag that is affecting the deer herd is the tag that's filled. So it doesn't matter that you get issued all these tags. Like you said, it, it comes down to your responsibility as a hunter and what you feel your micro area is like and whether or not you fill those tags. So, Yeah, 100%. Well, if anybody's got anything left to say, speak now or forever hold your peace. I just want to reiterate that your numbers were the best when Brett Favre was quarterback for the Packers. I think, I think we got to get that point out there again, too. Good way to end it right there. I, yeah. I, yep. Legend. Yeah. Well, I'll hold my tongue on that one. Good old Brett. All right. Well. Yeah, let's not even start on the Packers. Lord, we could talk about them for hours on end, but no, this was a good discussion. Uh, we got we got a lot out there. I, I know I enjoy having conversations like this. I know all of us do. That's kind of what we would do, whether we were recording or not. So it was a fun one, good discussion. Hopefully something good comes out of that, even if it's just a couple takeaways for somebody listening. So um yeah if anybody's still with us here we really appreciate it hope you guys enjoyed it um thank you for listening and we'll see you guys next time